good evening and welcome, ladies and gentlemen. It's a, it's a privilege and a pleasure for me to be here this evening. This is probably the biggest audience <laughs> and the sad thing is, it's not for me. <laughs> I know why you're here, and I know I'm leaning against an open door, as far as you're concerned. When we talk about our guest tonight, undoubtedly one of the funniest men ever, equally undoubtedly, one of the best loved most respected figures in show business ever in this country. That's why you're here in such great numbers. An extraordinary man. A man who's had a wonderful, wonderful career, stretching from simple soldier, scriptwriter, comedian, comic actor, to serious actor. He frightened me to death of the others. And Nicole Kidman has never recovered. <laughs> he is ineffable, irreplaceable, the inimitable. Eric Sykes. Thank you. Cheers, and thank you all for coming. <laughs> Frankie Howard. Frankie Howard, now, this is how it all goes in the jigsaw puzzle because Vic Gordon, who I was with in the war, since then I was in a repertory company up in Peace, and uh, in uh, Warminster, and it was a terrible repertory, terrible. Phone rang and it stayed talking, he said to me, it was very hassle, uh, phone call for you. So I thought, hello. No, he said, telephone for you. I thought, great, because I hadn't got one. <laughs> <laughs> and I went to him and it was Vic Gordon, who I hadn't seen since we were both in uniform. And I said, look, Vic, how are you? He said, how are you? I said, fine. He said, do you know who's been getting, wanting to get in touch with you? I said, no. He said, Frankie Howard. Well, I'm in the earth. That was like getting a, an invitation to Buckingham Palace. Frankie Howard was the biggest thing in the country. Really? Yeah. Well, you won't. You won't allow. You won't allow to listen to that at your age. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so I rang up Frankie Howard. I mean, because I, he was the biggest thing that he had. Forty-two percent of the population listening to every Sunday night. Variety band box. He was great, and he was my idol too. And would I go and see him? So. I went up to see him in pantomime in Leeds, and there were the queuing, about six all the way around the building for returns, a tamatme, for returns to see him, he was that big. And I went in, I said, hello, fine, how are you? And he's making it all, he said, yeah, uh, right, but uh, you think you could write for me? And I said, yeah, I've never written for anybody. <laughs> and he said, uh, right. That, that I've got to go on. I said, there's some paper there and a pen. <laughs> uh, no, no, listen. <laughs> then he went on the stage. And when he came back, I'd written his first sketch, his first thing. And it was all about when he was taking two elephants to crew down Regent Street. Oh, well, that's it. Now, that's how I started to write for Frankie Howard. 
And believe me, that was a mega leap into show business. And so I said goodbye to Repertory and they miss me. I'm getting on as quickly as I can. No, Frankie fine. Howard was supposed to... And they're doing well. <laughs> It's a shame because he's never been in the show where he's not in charge. <laughs> I've never been in charge of any interview that I've done with you. Oh. No, I was going to say, Frankie Howard had a reputation of being a very difficult man. Did you find him so? Did you find Frankie No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't find him. No, my turn. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't find him difficult at all. You see, I'd, I'd written that and. I, what I did to Frank, what I did subsequently to all the other people I wrote for, I never gave them the script, I read it to them. And I'd written, I'd, no, listen, dot, 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 no, no, listen, miss, you know, and a smile, show your teeth, that's it, just show them there, don't hand them round. <laughs> so, Start. And then Frank said, can you write my next one? I said, yes. And I went back to the thing, I wrote it. And then after about three weeks in repertory, he said, would you like to join me permanently? And I did. And, uh, and I never found him difficult. And when, when, this, when he got three spots in Bride of Box, like first one with Billy Turner, then he did another one with a celebrity, and then his own act at the end. Now, I would write the first sketch with Billy Turner and the thing, and then when he was at Blackpool, I had to go to Blackpool with these two, which I read him, and then we had to wait while the phone rang and he said, uh, Richard Attenborough, he's the celebrity. Ah, right. So Frank, he, he had a, he, he uh, rented a villa and he used to lock me in a room like that with a bottle of scotch and a typewriter. <laughs> when I hammered on the door, it was all set, and there I'm back when I was on the train. <laughs> what an easy way to make a living. <laughs> What about Spike Milligan? What about him? <laughs> Spike was not the easiest man in the world either, but you managed to be a friend and, and work well, we shared an office for over 50 years. And, uh, and he, he had his moments. <laughs> he, and, threw, he threw something at you, didn't he? Yes, he did. <laughs> what did he throw at you? Hello, hello, hello. I don't wish to know. Listen, now we shared an office in Shepherd's Bush. That was our first office with Shepherd's Bush Green and everything. And a lot of traffic coming through there. So each one, when we went to lunch together at Birch Rallies across the thing, we used to help each other across the road, like an Olympian on the truck. <laughs> and then when we got on the other side, we stride up. <laughs> One day, when we got next to Batrell, it's at a funeral parlor. And, and Spike, it's an old story, you've probably heard it, he laid down the pavement and he knocked on the window like that and he said, Shop! <laughs> and it took them over 60 years to answer that knock. <laughs> right, but that was, I'll tell you what he did once. This is the sort of thing, I, I, I always remember, he had his secretary there and our vice secretary just there. And he was in the next office, just across the landing. We were somewhere else, not at... 
And the, the, the secretary comes, his secretary goes, she's here, anyway, letter, Mr. Sargent, how old Dear Eric, do you fancy coming out for a bit of lunch today? Sincerely, Spike. <laughs> and then I go to the thing back, she's gone then. And I've got my secretary. Dear Spike, thank you, yeah, I do feel like it. How about one o'clock? Uh, sincerely, Eric. She comes back in, dear Eric, do you fancy Bertarelli's or somewhere like that? And uh, so, so, so I, I will be, yeah, this way, not, and he's only accosted. <laughs> and then eventually the door opens, Mike such that they said, now come on, he said, we'll, we'll go up, we'll go down past one. And I said, well, what about the letter? He said, I've got to go and I'm running out of paper. <laughs> That was one of the happier moments. I had a lot of happy moments with Spike. You wrote for the goons, did you? You wrote scripts for the goons? Well, again, there was only... It, you see, in the old days, we were at, uh, in Shepherd's Bush days, the, everything was an adventure because we were the first scriptwriters. There was no such thing as scriptwriters. And uh, so in between writing things, Spike was writing uh, the goons, and he, he was very tiny, very drawn and everything like that. He said to me one day, would you, would you like to write this for me? And I had nothing to do. I said, yes, I would. And that's how we came to write it together, you know. And we did this for a few weeks and everything. And then it got like we were fairly used to each other. And Spike said something, no, I think that's wrong. We don't need that there. And cross the there out. I said, no, no, you've got to have the because it's got the rhythm. He said, no, no, it's that thing. It's, it's a, they said that, so he got very angry. It's dark. It's, so anyway, he picked up a paper and he threw it at me. It missed me by a mile, went through the window and dropped five floors on into Shepherd's Bush. <laughs> and I went up and I picked it up and walked all the way back and I plumped it down and I said, words that I'd heard in a big picture, a big movie. <laughs> I said, remember what day this was. <laughs> well, you can't win them all. <laughs> you got me into that. I did, and not before time. And then, so the, you then stopped writing for the goons because uh, they, they didn't like some stuff you'd written. Well, no, I think, I don't know whether we could... No, what happened was that after a time, uh, because of that, you see, we went on and I said, look, you write one week and I'll write the next week. So then we've, only, we've got a fortnight to write it. And then one time I went in there and I, Sunday when they're all rehearsing, and I went in there and they're all sitting up with gloomy faces. And what's, what's funny? This isn't very funny, Eric. I said, well, it is. I think it's funny. No, it isn't. I, I'm sorry. Peter Eaton, the producer. So I'm sorry. I said, well, listen. You're lumbered with it now. It's Sunday morning. You've got to do this at 7 o'clock tonight and you'll do it. And that's the last time I'm going to walk into a goon show. And I walked out, which I was prone to do in those days. And then about 8 o'clock, I was eating at the Czech restaurant, which is in Edgeware Road. And I got up and practically pulled up. And Peter Tellis came out and he liked to cry. And he held me and he said, You know, it's the funniest show we've ever done. <laughs> and being a typical Lancashire man, and having a very stubborn streak. I said, thank you, Peter, I'm touched. But I shall never, ever walk into a Moonshow studio again, and I never did. And that's, 
I regret that because um, you know, I enjoyed all the lads and Peter Sellers and I got on like a house on fire. Ah, um, bless them all. What about yourself? I'm having Jake's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think Hattie Jake's. She was the most, oh, the gracious, the funniest, and full of life. I miss, I, I, I miss Hat more than anybody. Because I'll tell you why, it's always so good. When we did a series, we did a series of eight running like that, and then after it, we all split, like Dennis, not Dennis, Derek Geiler, uh, Richard Mottis, and Hat all went away, and I went away, and I went to do some stage work, or I did a film or something, Hat did carry-ons and things like that. And then a few months later, we all met up again for another series. It's like old home week. And lost them all, and lose them all, and all that. And so it was like, every time was fresh. And it was like, coming back to a thing. And she, she, she was a real big Aries woman. And I was now with a middle close. But sometimes she'd see that I was a bit tired, and she'd just sit down, and she'd take over in the direction and say everything I would have said. <laughs> and when we were having a read through, we read through there, and I was going to, I said the last line on the page and the next line on the next page is going to be hat. And she says it without turning it over. <laughs> now that's the ESP that we had. And, uh, and she was a, such a good actress. She was a great actress. And, and if there is one little regret I always have, but, because she was so good in the sights of Sebastopol Terrace, they precluded her from doing serious roles in films and stage. And that's why I'm slightly great, but God bless her, I miss her. You moved on to a stage career. So Peter Hall, ah. our greatest living vaudevillian. It's <laughs> <laughs> not a small company. How did he discover your acting talents? Uh, <laughs> I really don't know. I, I, I really don't know. I know that uh, uh, I was in Brighton doing a play, uh, and uh, the phone rang, and it was uh, my office, the Norma Farms, my manager, rang up and said, Peter Hall wants to have lunch with you uh, next week. Will that be all right? Yeah, okay. So next week I went up to town and it was somewhere near here, in a restaurant, I think South Bank or something. And uh, Peter was there, Norma came with me, and we sat down at the table. We said, the, the, the waiter, Peter Hall, he wasn't knighted then, so he could say Peter. <laughs> and he said, that's his table there, but he's not here yet. So we sat there with a couple of Chardonnays, and, uh, and he came in like, as if like, he had the train to catch. <laughs> and then started, oh, I said, you've got that right. I said, I said, he, so then he started talking, and he and he's talking about Moliere. And I keep thinking, oh, what's he on about? <laughs> and then he says, Moliere, and then uh, suddenly I realized, he, he says, Moliere was a great, he loved Vaudeville. And he said, you were one of the last Bordevillians, you'll be ideal. And it struck me. I said, I ain't on a minute, Peter. He said, no, no. And he stand up. He said, before you said no, you can do it. <laughs> Foo! And he was up. 
30 seconds later, the waiter came and put the bill in. <laughs> Same with Shakespeare. With, with uh, Shakespeare, one of his and uh, same thing. It's like deja vu. No one me, and he's there, and he's talking about Shakespeare. And I think, hello, hello, hello. He's not going to get me this time. <laughs> and he was saying, oh Shakespeare, in As You Like It. He said he only ever appeared in one of his plays, and that was As You Like It. That's part of the servant. And I thought, oh, I don't need because I'm not fussed about Shakespeare. And. Uh, and he said, what's the heck on? A, a, a part of a... No, but he said, no, before you say a word, you can, no, you can do it. <laughs> <laughs> and 30 seconds later, <laughs> and that was Peter. But I'll tell you, I'll put it down in the book. I'd buy Peter Hall lunch any time. You see, the thing is, I can't uh, read to learn, but what I do, I have it transposed onto a cassette, so I listen to it on a cassette, and that's how I learn my part. Now, Peter Hall, he did my part for him himself. Now, there's no greater Shakespearean uh, knowledgeable. So, his pauses and everything like that, I did too. And it's just listening to it. However, it's very heavy class and all. <laughs> well, I'm learning it in the middle of it, so he said, Hey, you uh, there's a full stop here, Eric. Ignore it and go on. <laughs> <laughs> so I had myself they're all up there and I said, Yes, but I'm there. There's a full stop. Bless <laughs> <laughs> him, I'd find lunch every day if, if he had another good father. Mainly considered of sitting down. <laughs> and of course, you, you, you were a film star long before Nicole Kidman discovered you. <laughs> the Plank? Yes. That was a wonderful piece. Oh, well, yeah, yeah that, was, yeah. that was really my first uh, attempt. And that was originally, you see, I, I, there's nothing on paper, the play, no script. Well, I told Peter Sellers about it because we did a lot of shows together. And uh, I, I, as I told him, he's laughing. Peter's a good audience, he really laughed. He said, I must do it, I must. And at this time, he was the biggest international comedy that we had. You know, it was really good. So I said, fine. He said, no, I must do it. So the next thing, you know, he said he'll do it. And I, well, I went away, fine. And I'm thinking, oh, where can we raise some money? How can we do that? About three weeks later, I meet Peter, and he said, right, we start shooting in a fortnight's time. <laughs> I said, what? what are you talking about? He said, no, I've got it. Bernard Delphos putting it on, and he's got the crew, and he's got the, the situation, the location, he's got everything, and we start shooting on a two weeks Monday. And I said, well, that's great. No, I, I don't really think it was just, I think I've got to start thinking now. <laughs> Anyway, about four days later, Peter came to me and he said, I'm sorry, but he'd had a very good offer from Hollywood to do that uh, Dr. Strange work. And he said, I've got to do it, Eric. He said, can you postpone it? I said, I can't. Bernard Delphot shelled out money for ready for a crew and location of an easel and a lady very on the ground for six months. So he went off and... And I had the inspiration of my life, which was to get Tommy Cooper. 
Tommy Cooper was, was to me, with all due respect to Peter, he would never have been as funny as Tommy was in that part. God bless you, Tom. Thank you. And what about the others, the film you made, as if, when you were a zombie? <laughs> yeah, I was a zombie before that. <laughs> now, that was with Nicole Kidman, but what was very interesting about that, you know, the fellow that uh, directed that, Spaniard, oh, you wouldn't know who it's called, Amenabar, Alejandro Amenabar, a Spanish lad, he was 26 year old, and he'd already won awards at Cannes for his direction and everything. And he's a very young lad. But we first met, we, we were due to meet in a hotel in, in Kensington, and uh, he said to me, after it was over, he said, as soon as I met you, I knew you were right for the part. I didn't know that time, but the part was of a dead man. <laughs> And then he went away, and then this little lad, we, we, we hit it off together. And then he phoned up one, and he said, look, um, the American people, said, they don't know who you are, so they want you to well, they do a test, you know, on a television, something like that. I said, no, okay, okay. He said, don't worry, I'll come over. So he came to my office, you know, where, where the, and the doorbell went, we opened it, and he's got this great camera over his shoulder and a big bag of things, and he comes in. He sets it all up, and then he said, oh, Eddie, just say, uh, hello, good morning, how are you? I said, good morning, how are you? He said, that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> and that is really how I got to, to do that part. And I can't tell, I was in the, the Premier League, and that was my first step into, uh, into how it was really done. And Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Yes, I was in that too. I know. <laughs> That's why I mentioned it. <laughs> yes. Uh, oh, he's quite right. I was in that. 